From CPR News, this is Colorado Matters. For artists, the pandemic's proven to be both a creative and economic challenge, and at times, an inspiration. We reflect on the year with musicians like Public Enemy's Chuck D. I've gone around the planet, and the name of hip-hop and rap music has seen art around the world. But to be able to put it to a canvas and hang it in a particular gallery is a, is a good discussion. Then, how relationships help define the music of Denver duo Tennis, plus musician Joe Johnson, who found his voice thanks to Colorado. I had to decide between the life I was living and the life that I wanted to live. And Naoma, the pop act went from the top of the charts in Ecuador to a new life here. During a time when so many of us have been physically distanced from friends, neighbors, and colleagues, your generous support has helped Colorado Public Radio bridge the gaps, bringing our community together through the stories that connect us all. Voluntary support is the lifeblood of the content and coverage we all rely on. Thank you for being our partner in making this kind of radio happen for the Colorado community each and every day. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. I'm Ryan Warner. The pandemic, protests over racial injustice, a country divided politically, 2020 proved to be both challenging and inspiring for musicians forced to reimagine their craft. Today, we reflect on the year that was through music. One of the most influential hip-hop albums ever released inspired a new art exhibit this year. The Terror Dome honored Public Enemy's 1990 album, Fear of a Black Planet, revered for its politically charged lyrics, innovative production, and one particular protest song. Terror Dome was featured in September at Black Book Gallery in Englewood. That's when I spoke with Public Enemy frontman Chuck D about why he wanted to curate a visual art show. The idea came from the fact that social media, the internet, and the online universe has allowed a lot of people to express themselves online. Their artwork or their creativity, their music on the World Wide Web and I just thought it was a a cool time to gather all these contributions, especially from the team that I have. It's called Mad Urgency. And I think the gallery show was to display their works behind the display of my works and use my, I guess, my notoriety as, as a good launching board into their works. Your notoriety. I think we can just call it fame. Yeah, you know, well, fame is, to me, it's, is a misnomer about it. You know, it's also a drug and Mm. it's also not real. 
And, and that's what art is. Art is pretty much a facsimile of real life. It's art is short for artificial. It's not real life. But in this time, it's a, you know, it's a blur. It's a thin line between the two. Wait, art is short for artificial? I never knew that if that's the origin. Well, you can start on your show. What? <laughs> start with Col- Colorado Matter. I mean, look, art is real, but it ain't. It's, 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 it's two-dimensional. It's three-dimensional. I, I don't think art is just something where somebody could just say anything and everything is art. I, I, I do think that there's a line. I think art, when it's at its best, it, it reflects. And uh, it reflects uh, the realities that we know and have seen. And you can go in today and expand those boundaries uh, with art, you know, into the unknown and the unseen. It's important to note you were an illustrator before you were a rapper. I wonder what drew a young Chuck D to the visual arts. Um, I was raised independently by my parents to actually go towards the arts. It happened to be in my family, although I don't think it's passed through the blood or energy like that. My great-grandfather was one of the first chief black architects in the New York City, New Jersey area. Mm. My grandfather painted and drew. I did it as a kid. I was further galvanized by comic books and illustrators, Mm. both on the Marvel side, like Jack Kirby and sports illustrators that would put their stuff in the daily newspapers, you know, that I thought they were engaging as well, too. Uh, Bill Gallo from the New York Daily News is influential. So I paid attention to that, as well as paying attention to what they called the funnies back in the day, and seeing everything from um, Terry and the Pirates illustrations down to Andy Capps, or especially Charles Schultz. Well, I, I, I love how diverse your set of inspirations is in other words, I like that. I like that it's Charles Schultz and architecture. I do want to reflect on your place in music history, Chuck D. I mean, Public Enemy was already selling a lot of records when it released its third album, Fear of a Black Planet, in 1990. What the rhymes keep fitting, respect's been given, how's your living? Now I can't protect, I paid off defect. Check the record and record, inattentional wreck. Played off as some intellect, made the call, took the fall, broke the laws. Not my fault that they're falling off. Known as fair square throughout my years. So I growl at the living foul. Black to the bone, my home is your home. But welcome to the Terradome. Fear of a Black Planet turns 30 this year, and there are songs about distrust of the police, lack of black representation in Hollywood, uh, misrepresentation in the media. Is it possible, Chuck D, that this record is more relevant today? The statement of the title is, back in 1990, it was actually based off the color confrontation theory of Dr. Francis Cress Welsing. Uh, was a dissertation made into a hip-hop rap album. So it was meant to be time capsule, Ryan. Uh, it was meant to be opened up maybe 30 or 40 years. Um, the circumstances are unfortunate that it is relevant because uh, these are the signs of the times. But I would tell you that it's a long period in music and culture, but it's a short period in real life. Mm. And the biggest difference between 1990 and 2020 is that there's been people who have been born who are now adults and into the adult flow, and there's people who are passed on. So people come and go, 
But this is why you, you do your best to eradicate systemic ills, such as racism. I so appreciate your sense of time in that answer. The idea that it, it might have been a long time for arts, but it's a very short time in kind of human history. The album was placed in the Library of Congress's National Recording Registry in 2004. And I'm just curious, does, mm-hmm. does that gesture mean much to you, given just how skeptical the band's view was of the government, you know, of 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 federal power even? Still skeptical of governments, and I say that plural. I believe art and culture brings human beings together for our similarities and knocks aside our differences. However, governments think diametrically opposed to that. Governments like to divide people, categorize them, name and number them, list them, separate them, and play alongside their their differences and play them. You want governments in this world to do the right thing. And it's shown that the chickens have come home to shoot just with things like climate. The album features one of the most recognizable songs of the rap genre, Fight the Power. And I'll just note that the band this year released a remix featuring artists who've undoubtedly been influenced by Public Enemy. I mean, Nas, members of The Roots, among others. The year is 2020, the number. Another summer, get down. Sound of the funky drummer. Music hitting the heart, cause I know you got soul. The information age got him seeing what's really wrong with these racist days. I honor the strong and pity the weak. Your thoughts run your life, be careful what you think. Haiti beat France in century 17. Salute Toussaint and Dessaline. And I do love France, know what I mean? It's a system I'm talking, nobody's agreeing. How did this remix come together, Chuck D? Well, it came together with uh, a presentation on, I guess, one of the BET Awards. And, you know, in this time, they thought that as the most important rap record ever, that it would actually, unfortunately, speak to this time. Also, a little help from my friends just taking the Ringo Starr title. <laughs> um, <laughs> a little up for my friends. People, uh, people like Questlove of the Roots, uh, you know, kind of put it together, uh, along with rap dignitaries such as Nas and the Rhapsody, YG and the one and only Black Thought. Generations is how long we've been at war. The revolution on our platform. You break a man's mind and it's back your solidarity is what I'm wearing all black for. For comrades who don't fought without me, it's not to try and change our thoughts about me or to redirect your reports about me. They're white people, you should take a course about me. Well, just to bring this home to your visual art, uh, Chuck D, have you have you drawn anything today? Do you have plans to? Is this a daily ritual for you? <laughs> daily ritual. Uh, right now, I'm working on a theme, which is, um, and I try to stay out of making political paintings. I kind of do political illustrations in the cartoonish mode. A lot of things that that's always ends up being 45, and that's the number of the current president. We hope that there's a 46, but Painting-wise, I'm taking on five paintings at the same time. And, wow. And my, what I like for my theme to be, my theme to, might be like closed-down shopping malls, closed-down, you know, super-franchised stores, and especially in this time, it's political. And, um, you know, baseball stadiums, 
I was inspired by the 1971 Major League All-Star Game, which had 20 future Hall of Famers playing it in the city of Detroit, where my grandparents also lived. And um, I'm doing like six panels that, you know, about, you know, the beauty of that particular game and how it influenced me as a kid. So those are the weird, quirky things I take on without always trying to take on something relevant to political art because I've done that in my music. I have an anonymous art figure that just likes to deal with, you know, a different aspect of what I'm not publicly known to do. And I have a lot of fun with that. So I'm doing illustrations every day and I have a lot of fun in it. Thank you so much for being with us. Well, I appreciate it, Ryan. Chuck D, frontman for Public Enemy. We spoke in September. Denver band Tennis has been going strong for more than a decade. Songwriting duo and married couple Elena Moore and Patrick Riley started Tennis after they went sailing together, and they've never looked back. Their melodic pop rock songs are instantly charming and don't seem to belong to any particular era. Moore spoke with my colleague Avery Lill as Tennis released their fifth album this past Valentine's Day. It's called Swimmer. Artist Elena Moore joins us now. Welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me. Let's get right into the new record, Swimmer. We're hearing the song, Need Your Love. It's got some fun tempo changes between verse and chorus. You wrote on Twitter that this is your favorite song the band has written. Why is that? Oh, you know, every once in a while, I'll have a song that is very resilient and can handle every single idea that I have. Normally, I find myself in the situation of like, giving up or sacrificing all of my favorite melodies or um, musical arrangements that I'd like to do with the song. In this one, I wanted to do the tempo change really badly, and I can't believe the song held up through all of my wildest ideas. Um, It just felt like it was uh, the perfect conduit for everything that I wanted. I love this idea of a song as a sort of resilient vessel for ideas. Um, You also refer to this album as your most beloved offspring, and it sounds like records are sort of like children to you. Uh, Yeah, especially since I make all of my music with my husband and we are childless. Um, All of my friends are having babies, but I'm making albums. (laughs) Um, So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's I feel like uh, we're doing our job when every release feels stronger than the last one. I feel like this is the only instance of parenting where you're allowed to have preferences over your offspring. So yes, this is my favorite. (laughs) The best album child. Uh, Swimmer certainly has some romantic songs on it, including one that you wrote specifically for Patrick for your 10-year anniversary. The closing track, Matrimony 2. No one knows of love that's so
when you listen back to this song, do you think that it represents how you feel about Patrick? Um, well, I wrote a song called Matrimony uh, three years ago as an anniversary gift for Patrick, and in it I described our wedding day. We were really young, inadvisably young, when we got married, uh, I think 23. Um, and so now, with 10 years of marriage to reflect on, I wanted to write that song again and see how my relationship to being married and even our partnership has changed. And one thing that I noticed is the idea of growing old together, which is sort of a like, uh, I don't know, ritualistic or even flippant promise that you make, especially when you're in your early 20s. I mean, that's just a hypothetical, you feel immortal. Um, so now at 35, thinking about that and actually growing old together and even losing people, um, experiencing you know loss and making sacrifices, it just changes the nature of your relationship. And I wanted to write a song that described that. I also wonder, when you're making music with a person you're married to, I feel like a lot of couples, they get to move through a moment, good or bad. But when you're making art and memorializing those moments, how is that as a band? Uh, for me, I feel like when we write a record together and I am choosing to write a song like this, I am trying to catalog something that felt... Um, uh, like if that felt monumental or um, significant to the course of our relationship. Um, it's sort of, I almost feel like I'm doing archival work more than catharsis, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. I love that. One of the central tracks is Echoes. You said get adopted My wife's going on song, but this one was inspired by an experience you recently had on tour where you were hospitalized. How did that shape this song? Uh, actually, as soon as I was regaining consciousness in the hospital, I thought I would be writing about this soon after. Um, I used to think about song lyrics like poems, and then I started thinking of it as short stories. And I read a lot of Paul Simon's lyrics, just like disconnected from records, just printing them out and reading them. And I always felt like he did such a good job of making a pop song out of what might be like very, very dark, extremely personal um, events in his life, like a divorce or something like that. And I wanted to do something like that with this very specific account where I'm hospitalized on the road and we might have to cancel tour and Patrick was terrified and I woke up screaming and um, this one was very, very like special to me and very conceptual initially and I am amazed we were able to pull it off normally when I want so much out of my lyrics. It's really hard to get 
the whole song to like wrap around it, but it came together in this really um, special way. And do you mind sharing briefly why you were in the hospital? Yeah, I got influenza on day one of tour. And I powered through about 10 days of shows until I just lost consciousness one day. Yeah. Yeah, it was really unfortunate. You know, tour is one of those things where you can't just rebook it. (laughs) Um, There's so many moving parts and so many people coming from so many places. So I committed to getting through it as long as possible and till I finally my body gave out on me. Um, This is the band's second release on its own label, Mutually Detrimental. Now that you've been doing it for a few years, how has it changed the way tennis makes music? Um... I think what we really wanted was a lot of autonomy so that we could make really specific choices to us. We had been in the experience of having, like, delivering a finished album to a studio and then them saying, you know, there's no single here. Go back, keep writing, keep writing. And I just felt like that doesn't allow for the artists to refine or trust their own instincts or pursue whatever they're truly interested in. And I feel like if the writer isn't passionate about what they're doing, then the listener will be able to hear that. And so striking off on our own has allowed us to write exactly the way we want to. And you've also gotten into producing music for other artists, including a couple of Colorado acts, Downtime and Esme Patterson. That's a new venture for tennis. What have you enjoyed about that so far? It's been just amazing to do. Um, I've learned that I mostly prefer working behind the scenes and being in the studio. That's where I feel like all of my skills are most put to use. And also, I have so much more freedom when I'm working on somebody else's songs instead of mine. (laughs) It feels... um, I I really like the collaborative spirit of the whole thing, and I really like trying to provide another artist with the environment that they need that's most conducive to the work they want to create. Elena Moore and her husband, Patrick Riley, are the pop group Tennis. Moore spoke with my colleague Avery Lill in February as they released their fifth album, Swimmer. Let's head into break with another song off the record, Runner. Colorado Matters from CPR News. It's the story that dominated the 2020 news cycle. Found that more than 60% of Coloradans back a policy of staying at home to slow the spread of coronavirus. It's not yet reached the number that we need to save lives. And we have hospitals, especially in some of the more remote areas, that are absolutely full the state right is now. Designated to receive the Pfizer vaccine. I'm Leo Gomez, and we got the COVID vaccine here for you. The story of the coronavirus pandemic is still being told. Trust the facts. 
Trust CPR News. You're back with Colorado Matters from CPR News. I'm Ryan Warner. As 2020 comes to a close, we're reflecting through music, some of our favorite interviews with singers and songwriters. In July, what normally would have been a huge weekend for indie music went virtual. The Underground Music Showcase carried on online in light of the pandemic. One of the featured performers was Naoma. The pop act hails from Ecuador, but calls Denver home now. We spoke just before the festival as Naoma released a new single. Carla Wiracocha is the singer for Naoma, and she joins us. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm really excited to be here today. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm really pleased to talk to you because your music is so cool. You were born in New Jersey. You moved to Ecuador Mm -hmm. when you were four. Where did music making come in? Well, I feel like music has been around my life since I'm little because my dad is a musician as well. Mm. Uh, he used to play the guitar. I remember we, when we moved to Ecuador in our house, we used to have like a music room, so full of instruments. And I used to dance and, you know, sing with my dad. Uh, did your father encourage you to pick up instruments as well? Yes, he, he plays the guitar. So he was the first one to teach me how to play the guitar and like sing. So yeah, he, he was definitely encouraging me to learn Tell me more about the live music scene in Cuenca. This is the city in Ecuador where Naoma started. Oh, it's amazing, actually. I feel like it's been growing for the last couple of years. Um, I was a big fan of the music scene. I was actually, I, I used to work as um, promoting events and promoting concerts. That's how I got these great connections with more musicians as well. Huh. So I've yeah, I've always been involved, and I think that it's been growing more and more. We have new bands and new projects coming up, and it's it's been great. Yeah, it's definitely, it has a huge scene there. So uh, this is interesting. Uh, Cuenca is at 8,300 feet elevation. So co- yes. coming to Denver was uh, going to a lower elevation for you. We're talking a community of about 330,000 people. And mm-hmm. and you were doing music promotion, huh? Um, not necessarily as much music making? Right. I was like an event promoter. Whenever we had festivals or like uh, concerts, I used to be the one selling the tickets and doing more like marketing promotion for the bands and for the actual concerts through my social media. So yeah, I was doing that before I started with music, but of course I've always been involved with music and writing my own stuff and learning instruments as well. So Naoma was well-established in Ecuador, and you had a radio hit with the song Real.
things seem to be going quite well in Ecuador. Why did you move to Denver? Well, since I was born here in the States, I saw like an opportunity to pursue something bigger because I feel like Ecuador is a great place. It has a great music scene, but it wasn't much that I could do there. Mm. Um, so I already have my manager and I've contacted an agent here as well. And I have my producer, which is Danny, and he was moving here to Denver as well. So we were just like, why don't we move together and just start over here. You mentioned Danny. This is Danny Pauta, guitarist and producer that you work with. And you thought that you could just get, what, bigger here? Is this about having more ears on your music? Is it about deepening your musical abilities? What is it? Actually, when I came here, I, I didn't really have a plan. But when I moved to Denver, I started to realize that, of course, writing in English, it was better for me in my creative process. Because, you know, sometimes when you're like, I, I feel like when I write in Spanish, how I express emotions and things sometimes are different with another language. And like, I feel like English is such a melodic language for me to write. So I was experiencing a lot of um, inspiration. And as well, of course, I wanted to take my music that is in Spanish to take it to a country that, of course, everyone speaks English here. And I, I just wanted to my music to find something beyond what was in Ecuador. I'm glad you brought up the, the bilingualism here um, because we, we've heard two of your Spanish language songs. And indeed, you write mm -hmm. in English. I wonder if you also sometimes want to do both, like Spanglish, <laughs> um, a sense that there are some yeah. concepts in Spanish and some concepts in English that just resonate more with you. Definitely. I have my song, Into You, and that's a song that I have the first verse in English, and then the chorus is just a mixture of, like, it's, it's Spanglish, pretty much, because uh, it's like... Una luz en tu cara in the moon Una luz en tu cara in the moon Tu casa y no dejes nada aquí No dejes nada Una luz en tu cara in the moon Tu casa y no dejes nada aquí No dejes nada aquí I mentioned tu cara, which means your face, and then it's in the moon which is La Luna in Spanish. So I feel like I can like play with those melodies too because, you know, languages are so melodic sometimes. And mixing those two languages, it was like, wow, something great exploring for me beyond what I was doing, you know, just writing in one language. It's interesting to hear you describe English as, I think the, the word was melodic. Is that the word you used? <laughs> yes. Yeah. I guess I just think naturally of romance languages as more melodic. So it's nice to hear you say mm -hmm. that about English. Have, have you had the virtual concert experience yet during the pandemic? Oh, definitely. I, I've been doing a bunch of live stream concerts. It's kind of hard to get a good sound through the computer instead of like it'll be um, in a concert, for example. So 
we've been doing a lot of live streams. I, I think that we we have finally mastered the the setup for live stream concerts. But it's it's been good. It's been great. Of course, it's kind of weird because, you know, I'm so used to finish a song and then hear the applause yeah. and hear people like screaming and yelling. And then after I finish the song in a live stream, I'm just like there. It's, it's kind of silent. But I think it's different, a different experience. Well, Carla, the future of the live music industry is, you know, really in question. Are mm-hmm. are you optimistic that you'll play in front of live audiences again soon or what? To be honest, I don't even want to think about it yeah. <laughs> because yeah. I feel like it. I read this article about the live music coming up maybe around 2022. Hmm. Which it kind of, you know, it kind of freaked me out. But I, I feel like I've been trying to more being inspired, I feel. Right now I'm currently writing a new album. And I'm just trying to put all these ideas together. I like to be at home a lot, actually. Mm. I'm, I'm not a person that usually goes out. I like to be at home, locked up in my room with my piano and my computer. And that's my happy place. And I, I could write a thousand songs there so it hasn't been that hard for me because i actually like being at home um but i don't i don't even want to think about the future i'm living yeah. day by day over here yeah sometimes it feels like living almost hour by hour you oh know? my god yeah 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 well i i wanted to know if if this was a creative time for you and it sounds like it is and in fact you have a new single out cuando quieres jugar conmigo uh, if I have the translation right, when you want to play with me. Is that right? There you go. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's the right one. And this is a collaboration with Lollaboom, a band from Ecuador. Uh, why don't you just say a few words about how it came together before we wrap up? Somehow, with this whole pandemic thing, people got so much better at connecting with other people, you know, virtually. Pedro sent me a song at first. Um, is this Pedro Bonfim? Yes. Pedro is the lead singer of, L- of Lollaboon. I like the song a lot. I wrote a couple lyrics for it, but we weren't that happy with the with the results. So uh, we made like one of those virtual meetings and we wanted to start a new song. So we started all over again. Oh. And that's how we came up the song. It was literally just a collaboration to a bunch of calls and voice notes and video chatting and FaceTiming. So it was great, a great experience. Wow. Well, I I think it's really admirable when something doesn't quite feel right to say, you know what, we need to start over or we need something new. Mm -hmm. Do you think, was that hard? Not really, because I was the one who told Pedro. Pedro really liked the song, but I wasn't that. I, I, I'm kind of like a perfectionist with my music. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> yes. Well, thank you so much for being with us, Carla, and I appreciate your time. Stay safe. Definitely. Okay, well, it was great to talk to you. <laughs> Carla Huiracocha is Naoma. We spoke in July as the Underground Music Showcase went virtual because of the pandemic. (music) 
Singer-songwriter Joe Johnson grew up in Mississippi, where he was immersed in blues and country. But it wasn't until he moved to Colorado that he found his own voice. And what a voice. I remember just shy of 17. Way back yonder in the tall pine tree. Pretty little girl stole a kiss from me. Down on the banks of the Morgantown Creek. Johnson meld Southern blues and Americana for a rugged sound that's right at home in Manitou Springs, where he has lived for many years. Coming here was a way to turn the page on a pretty dark chapter. Johnson's latest album is Morgantown, and Joe, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I want to put this delicately, but your name, Joe Johnson, is quite common. It makes it a bit hard to Google your music. Do you find that? Absolutely my whole career. And my first name is Byron. And people ask me all the time when they find that out, why didn't you go with Byron Johnson? And I have literally no good answer. Growing up, I was called Joey or Joe. And uh, it just stuck. You know, I figure it's too late to change it at this point. Even though it could distinguish you from all the other Joe Johnsons. That's very true. I don't trust Byron Johnson quite as much as I trust Joe Johnson. That's kind of it, too. (laughs) I think I've always tried to approach everything in life from music to regular, you know, relationships and interactions uh, in a very uh, matter of fact and normal sort of way. Authentic, maybe? That's a good way of putting it, Mm -hmm. too. Music seems to be in your blood. Your grandfather was a notable country music DJ and performer. How did he inspire you to play music? I was inspired to play music from as far back as I can remember. Uh, You know, I think at like 13 years old, I was learning bar chords on the electric guitar. You Um, just did an air guitar, by the way. I did. Yeah, that was was nice. It was pretty good. It was pretty accurate to scale. Uh, His music, the music that he made was more really true old school country music. And he made it from the 50s until the late 80s and early 90s. Didn't he play the Grand Ole Opry? He did. Wow. Many times, yeah. My aunt likes to tell the story of uh, going to the Grand Ole Opry with him. He always drove a Cadillac, and he pulled this Cadillac into the alley behind the the theater and just was walking in the back door, didn't bother to park his car anywhere in a parking space. He just left it in the alley, and she thought he was crazy. She said, what are you doing? There's no way they're going to let you do this. And he just walked right through the place like he owned it, and nobody ever said anything to him. He just left his Cadillac parked in the middle of the alley all night long. (laughs) That is amazing. And they left it parked there for him. Yeah, so the idea is if you act like you belong, (laughs) exactly, you belong. (laughs) He was there to receive an award, and he was so annoyed by the fact that he had to drive all the way from Picky in Mississippi to Nashville to get this award. (laughs) (laughs) It was such an inconvenience to him. And he gets the award, and they load back up in the car, and they head back to Mississippi. And as they're heading south, it's wide open interstates. And he's my grandpa drove 90 miles an hour everywhere he went. What's his name? We should name him. B.J. Johnson. B.J. Johnson. Uh, B.J. the DJ. And any fans of old country music, if you're not familiar with his music, you're probably familiar with the song B.J. the DJ by Stonewall Jackson. By Stonewall Jackson. Which is about him. B.J. the DJ. You're living much too fast And if you don't change your ways Don't see how you can last 
he was a speed demon. He was, and he was hauling down the highway, headed back to Picayune from this annoying award show. Wide open highways, and on the other side of the highway, both lanes are packed with cars. Everybody's going north. Or he, him and my aunt are the only ones headed south. Huh. They can't figure out what's going on. They stop at a gas station to get some gas, and uh, the guy says, you know what's going on, right? There's a hurricane rolling in tonight. It was Hurricane Camille, which was one of the most destructive hurricanes to ever hit the Mississippi Gulf Coast. So he loads back up in the car, and he drives even faster to get to Picayune because he was a radio DJ at WRJW Radio. And he felt like the number one most important thing was for him to get on the air at the radio station so that everybody could get storm updates. So he drove about 100 miles an hour, gets to his house, throws out all the bags, my aunt, her friend, tells him to get inside, throws the award in the yard, and goes to the radio station and works all night long at the radio station. I really needed to get out of Mississippi. Uh, I was just starting to kind of get my legs under me as a writer and a performer. I felt like I needed a kind of change of scenery. Uh, you needed room to grow. I, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, my brother was here working a job as a land surveyor, so I came out to visit him and uh, just kind of fell in love with the place. And at that time, one of my dear friends who I'd been writing with for a few years, he passed away of an overdose, which was a real wake-up call for me and a lot of people around me at the time. Um, Were you using drugs at that point? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, pretty much, uh, I never, I don't, it, very few drugs I ever met that disagreed with me <laughs> okay. when I was in my younger days. Um, but I needed to get to a place where I really didn't know people and I needed, I wanted to get away from that life. So. Yeah, I hear so often that those who struggle with addiction talk about shedding an old group of friends that might have been you know, the, sort of the wrong influence and finding something new. And it sounds like that's what you needed to do in moving to Manitou Springs. Yeah, that's you know? what it takes for anybody to really do it. And that's not to say, you know, those friendships don't still mean something to you. But, you know, at the end of the day, I had to decide between the life I was living and the life that I wanted to live. And so, you know, I packed a backpack with a couple of pairs of clothes a guitar. I tied some, a pair of boots onto the bumper of my friend's car, and we went to Colorado. Well, the night seems so long without you, and the day been hard to get through. And all the drugs I got myself on. Johnson, once arriving in Colorado, you formed the band Creating a Nuisance, but that's spelled new sense because you were creating a new sense 
of self. I do want to know about the first day in Colorado with that backpack and that guitar. What do you remember? Like it was yesterday, I remember it. We got to my brother's house. We visited for a while. I said, I'm going to go take a walk around and check this town out. If you've ever been to Manitou Springs, it's a really picturesque kind of town. Um, so charming. Coming, yeah, especially coming from where I came from. Yeah, I took a walk. I, I put threw my guitar on my back and just kind of took a walk around. Immediately met a couple of folks kind of in the park and out on the sidewalks and saw a couple of people playing music on the sidewalk. So I figured that was acceptable here. So I started doing that. I started just playing on the sidewalks. and Just the, busking. Yeah, busking. And the first three places I tried to play, they ran me off. They said, no good. Get out of here. Huh. And uh, there's a, a shop called The Hemp Store which is still in Manitou now. And that was the first place that they said, yeah, you can stay right here. Just set up in front and play. And I did that all day that day. And uh, toward the evening, a guy came walking by with his dog and stopped and said, uh, man, that sounds really good. I host an open mic up at this bar called the Ancient Mariner tonight. You should come by. And so I showed up to that open mic that night, played three songs and uh, met the bass player, drummer, and keyboard player for what would become creating a nuisance. Your touch was like heaven to me And you came when it showed has the music scene of Southern Colorado changed in the 15 or so years you've been here? Uh, drastically. <laughs> when I first moved here, um, to be honest, I, I don't know that it was as cohesive a scene, for one. Uh, there was a lot more emphasis on cover bands and, you know, your bar rock band kind of thing. Uh, there was original music and a lot of people that I know now that I didn't know at the time were here. But when I first came, I, I thought to myself, there's like two original bands in this town. Wow. Again, there were more, but I didn't know them. I came from Hattiesburg, Mississippi, which is an original music scene. Um, it's close to New Orleans. There's a lot of original music that comes through. People that are touring to New Orleans that play there on a Saturday or Friday night will play in Hattiesburg on a Monday night. So you see a lot of just amazing original music come through that town, and all the bands in town play their own stuff and you know, covers here and there, but it's really an original-based music scene. And uh, so when I started looking at that landscape, it was a little intimidating, I think. But from day one, I've always just played original music. And you know, some bar owners, especially early on, would complain about that. And you know, we'd do a gig, and creating a nuisance because we played all original music and uh when we would finish the gig you know they'd say well we'd love to have you back but you need to learn some covers Hmm. and say well thanks for letting us play we'll find somewhere else you know we were just dedicated no matter what to pushing forward original music and you're going to like it or else (laughs) we're going to keep playing it for you until you like it and that's what it takes you know now the colorado springs music scene is full of original music so many different styles, indie rock, indie folk, bluegrass, country, blues, rock. It's all bands making original music. 
You teach songwriting to middle and high school students in Colorado Springs. What are some of like the early lessons you try to impart for a first-time composer? Mm-hmm. The first lesson that I teach any of my classes is the song consists of a verse, a chorus, a bridge, and the lyrics have to rhyme. The second lesson is everything I just said is a lie. <laughs> there, <laughs> there is no right or wrong way to write a song. The point of writing a song is expressing how you feel inside and that's really not up to anyone else to interpret but you. Oh, we're back to that theme of authenticity, Byron. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Well, I hate to leave you lying there. Manitou Springs singer-songwriter Joe Johnson speaking with me in March. That's when we broadcast the show from KRCC in Colorado Springs. Like so many artists, Johnson had to put in-person performances on hold, opting instead for streaming events. He posted on Facebook recently, despite the pandemic, that he's had one of the most productive years from a creative standpoint in a long time, writing more than 15 songs, recording an EP, and several singles. That's Colorado Matters today. Thanks to our productive team. Carl Bielek. Ali Butner. Andrea Dukakis. Michelle Fulcher. Matt Hers. Michael Hughes. Carla Jimenez. Avery Lill. Pedro Lumbrado. Alexandra McMahon. Patrice Mondragon. Shane Rumsey. Paolo Schalzenet. And I'm Ryan Warner. This is CPR News. <laughs>